Hi, welcome to Story Guts, where the we t explore what the stories we tell tell about us. Ah, oh, damn, you got it. Okay, I yeah, I was there was like yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, I'm Molly Curran. Oh, whoops. Yeah, hi, I'm Alice Lai. This is Story Guts. <laughs> and this is Story Guts once again. Uh, sorry about the late episode last week. I um I just moved and my room is just just covered in layers of cardboard. Um, so I wasn't able to get the podcast up in time. Uh, hopefully it won't happen in the future, and hopefully it won't happen on an episode where we explicitly state the date, like, five times. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of our bad. We probably should have thought that one through. <laughs> right, yeah, like, I packed up my computer, and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so anyways, um, spring has sprung. Has it? Yes, it has. I mean, spring sprang... Uh, <laughs> a while ago. Not that you would know it if you live in Michigan, because there is snow on the ground. Yes, there is. And here, there is no snow on the ground. It's just kind of been gloomy. I know I can't complain. I know I can't <laughs> complain. So Molly's giving me a look. Um, I mean, I feel like once you move to Michigan, you just like reserve the right to like roll your eyes at everybody, except maybe people from Minnesota or Canada. Canadians, oh, true. though. Can't like even imagine. Russians. Okay, like sure. Ice, I, yeah, all right. We're limiting it to the to the North American continent. Um, okay, but uh, anyways, so love is in the air, and we're going to talk about the most romantic trope, gal pals. That's right, gal pals. Gals who are really close, but don't worry, guys. They're just pals. They're just are pals. They? No, 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 they are. Because don't worry, they wouldn't be actually gay. They that would, would be... die for each other, but they're not gay. <laughs> they would they would enter a long term, uh, you know, cohabitation living arrangement with each other, but you know, none none of that unsavory stuff. <laughs> none of uh, so like this is obviously a trope that like it um it has things in common with like queer baiting which is sort of when when a show um or a book or whatever sort of hints at a um gay relationship or a, a gay or a lgbt character um and then doesn't actually ever sort of like make good on those hints it's just sort of mm -hmm. a way of um you know keeping keeping viewers interested um and right, gal pals like... is Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was like, yeah, like, it's a way to keep certain viewers interested without potentially alienating many other viewers. Right. Right. So, and this is why it's seen as so kind of scummy, because it, usually what queer baiting involves is uh, a, a refusal to, like, actually acknowledge it because they don't want to offend the conservative parts of their audience who would just be uh, up in arms over an explicit relationship. So it's just like, 
winks and nudges and just like, oh, but of course they're not. So BBC Sherlock is kind of what I consider one of the most classic examples of uh, queer baiting. Yeah, um, Supernatural is also really well known for this. And it gets really wild in that one because you've also got like the weird incest baiting and so anyway so queer baiting and supernatural is not between the two brothers i mean it has been but i think it's now mostly between uh one of the brothers and the angel was this an issue in torchwood i know they had like a shape-changing pansexual doctor or something he was not shape okay this is all wrong (laughs) (laughs) jack harness was not a shape-changing pansexual uh doctor he was a immortal pansexual dude okay um and no no it wasn't a problem in in um torchwood he his main love interest was a man okay um but yeah it, it, it is sort of a common thing and you'll often see what happens is um these sort of so close to being uh um queer or gay or whatever these these relationships that are are um, hinted at that but never really get there are often sort of like the butt of jokes um there's a lot of jokes about like you know characters being mis misconstrued for being a couple um or you know characters being misunderstood as gay but they're not really um, but it's just mm-hmm. enough to kind of give viewers for whom that is you know important or exciting or interesting um you know a little bit of fuel to their fire without actually having to commit right it's it's kind of understood as like the the scraps of representation mm-hmm. um and it is a coward's move for cowardly people uh, uh, I, okay. well, I, was, I was gonna say like i think gal pals is often a little bit different though than a lot of classic queer baiting which is often between men mm-hmm do, do you agree? Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um I think what's interesting here is that queer baiting is uh a kind, kind of like I feel like queer baiting is explicit in the sense of like the people kind of know what's going on or know exactly what they're targeting um or like what exactly they're like invoking without invoking whereas gal pals is sort of like the kind of like just totally blind to the possibility of sort of like lesbian relationships or the the fact that like it's it a it, 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 like it sits in a weird particular blind spot where like it's considered not a possibility and like so not a possibility the text doesn't even think it needs to address it right it doesn't it doesn't become a an a overt joke in the same way often i mean probably not all the time but um it doesn't it doesn't so often become sort of like oh they people misunderstood them for a couple or like wouldn't it be funny if they loved each other romantically, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather, it's more of um, these like very close, intense friendships um, with romantic and sometimes sexual undertones that um, like there's never any sort of need to explicitly address it because exactly it's sort of seen as this um, that's just how girls are. Girls are just close. Um, you know, they're like sisters. Right. And the, the possibility of anything else is just not even considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, um, and I think it's a, it's a unique, I mean, it's a, it's a, some, some, it's such an interesting trope because it exists in like this weird penumbra of like, um, 
a trope because it's not acknowledged rather than it's a trope because it is. Uh, and we have a lot of, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was going to, I actually, I wrote this down and I was like, would you say, do you, do you recall the story of Ruth and Esther at all? No. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll pass on that one. That was a biblical story. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, no. Okay. I know it's like a <laughs> biblical thing, but, um, sorry, that kind of threw me off. Just <laughs> so, cut all this part out. Um, <laughs> we're not cutting any part out unless it's like a long silence where I'm sneezing. So, Ugh, okay. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, so sort of it's that, that, um, absence of acknowledgement or the, the strange sort of unspoken nature of it that makes it fit into this trope really well um where where there's there's sort of a plausibility to your to a to a reading of the relationship but there's never going to be any sort of concrete proof or any sort of concrete confirmation and sometimes in some cases there's a you know absolute sort of denial in some way right um that panicked panicked last minute denial exactly what is interesting about this is as well is that we kind of see this, um, like, this happens a lot in, so we're, we were talking about queer baiting in fiction, um, but we're, we sort of see this as applied to, like, uh, like male, like, um, gay romantic uh, relationships in history or historical, uh, sort of, like, historians sort of, like, explaining that, like, they lived together and, like, you know, never married and blah, blah, but they're just, like, really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, it's sort of other. this this joke, this, like, joke about historians, right, where um, somebody can write a, a love letter and be like, I love you and having sex with you, person of my same gender, and it's so great, and yeah, le- I wish we could be married. They'll be like, well, you have to understand, like, homosocial friendships in the Victorian era were sort of romantic in nature, but that doesn't mean that anyone was, like, gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I think, I mean, I do think that's, we hear that rhetoric still, like, I still hear people Mm -hmm. sort of say, like, oh, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not homophobic, I just, like, I wouldn't want those characters to get together, because, like, their friendship is so beautiful, and, like, I feel like we don't really get to see, like, um, you know, friendships between men, or friendships between women, like, that get to be that, like, you know, deep and beautiful without being, uh, romantic right yeah without without like this like yeah gay like the gay agenda and i think what what is sort of motivating us to talk about this trope this time um is <laughs> is it's kind of out of uh i suppose more frustration i guess sort of like so we're talking about like um the lack of representation it's come up a lot actually recently given um right as of this recording the simpsons just released their really not great uh rebuttal to the problem with Apu um so like so the so and part of that issue with that is sort of Apu being (coughs) the Simpsons uh or being many uh you know South Asian uh people's first like encounter with a South Asian character on TV which is like a white person doing a parody of a person doing a parody of an Indian accent and to kind of uh in fiction when we have examples of these like strong uh devoted deeply emotional experiences as sort of being like uh you know not even like you know just like they're totally straight like just don't even worry about it 
um, kind of creates this image that like, yeah, this is how like female friendships are. Like this is how uh, two girls just like really, you know, this is how they bond uh, versus like, you know, maybe sometimes you're a little gay. <laughs> like sometimes it does happen that a girl is actually a bit gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's right. Yep. And that's <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I wasn't sure if you're going to. Nope. Sorry. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, would you? I guess you ha- you just agree. I but... did just agree. <laughs> But, like, you, do you sort of feel like this is... I mean, th- this is the reason we're talking about it. This is the reason, like, it's, I guess, like, considered harmful. Because of representation, you mean? I guess, like, because of... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's true. I think that part of it is a representation problem. But I think, like, thinking about what a representation problem is can be kind of helpful in that it's not... It's not in absence of representation in this case or it Mm -hmm. is but it's it's sort of um again it's sort of that which is not spoken so it's it's allowed to exist in the air but like you're never allowed to make it concrete and i feel like Mm -hmm. that is a problem um especially well no not especially for for women but um i think uh both both uh queer men and queer women, LGBT men, LGBT women, um, you know, I think there's a um, a sense that sort of like some of this is like, okay, it's okay to sort of tread that line um, to be, you know, curious or to be like close. It's okay to sort of have these, um, uh, I don't know, experimentations for lack of a better word, uh-huh. yeah. um, but like the actual naming of um of a relationship you know like the actual sort of thing like somebody is you know somebody saying that they're a lesbian somebody saying um you know they're in a relationship with somebody of their same gender and like saying you know i'm dating this person i'm married to this person whatever Mm -hmm. um i feel like that's a very um new kind of representation that (laughs) it is it is um important to have but i think it's important to have um not just so that we can I don't know. I'm sort of losing my train of thought, but it's like about what the the realm of possibilities is. So it's not mm-hmm. just like the realm of possibility that like you're a um, you know, adult gay woman who has always as far as the fiction of this universe been gay. Like it's just sort mm-hmm. of known like that's the gay character, but rather having these characters who are in these like um deep relationships um you know acknowledge that like that can be romantic um Mm -hmm. and that you know maybe they realize then you know that they are bisexual or a lesbian or whatever um so you're saying that's a different kind of narrative than sort of just the i mean i think both are important but just the representation of like a character is introduced that character is from the beginning and sort of outspokenly Mm -hmm. gay versus versus the one the other version you're talking about where it's more of a uh a realization narrative or mm-hmm. a um or it's or it's built i guess i guess maybe in a sense like it's built backwards like the relationship comes first and then the 
uh, oh shit, I'm gay. Right. Comes. Uh, and you know, honestly, maybe I just feel this way because I like fucking loved Pretty Little Liars. And that was exactly how the lesbian character in that show was introduced because mm-hmm. she had a really close romantic friendship with one of her friends and they like, quote unquote, kissed for practice. Um, and, you know, she realized uh-huh. in the confines of that that like she was in love with her best friend. Um yeah. So maybe that's why I just like enjoy those narratives. <laughs> no, I mean I think I mean I think um this is sort of outside the scope of what we're talking about, but I mean I have been thinking of that um as someone who's trans, like it's something that I I want to see more of is uh there's a lot of media about living who like you know about people who have transitioned and are like you know living their life and like trying to adjust that. Um I think it, I mean I was just sort of like I wish personally that there was more stuff about like the navigating that realization that you are trans, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that like the, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like sort of you're talking about these, um, it's, it's kind of an experience that is not like if you're cis and straight, like you, you don't have that, that confusion. You don't have that lifelong, uh, lifelong confusion, lifelong, uh, self-criticality like this lifelong um just sort of like something is not the same and Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is um and it's interesting uh and like what is interesting to me or what i like to what i hope to see is like um this you know this explicitly queer experience of like having that crystallize one day and you know, just, like, the circumstances of that or whatever of just, like, like we said earlier, it's like, oh, shit, I'm gay. And, like, you were sort of talking about it earlier, too, with, like, Pretty Little Liars and, like, the, you know, this sort of, like, skating into, uh, and, like, maybe not, like, representation, but, like, just, like, this, this, like, you know, it's not something you were, like, born out of the womb, Mm -hmm. uh, realizing this and you know it's not that not the case for many many people that like they know that they're not straight or whatever right i mean it's like i think and i do want to distinguish this from i think this often gets sort of lumped in with like coming out narratives and Mm -hmm. i think um i guess in a way it's sort of the coming out to yourself um but i think the self-discovery narrative right is very important um and i think it's it's like true that you know for some people it's very much like you know i figured it out when i was seven years old and i knew but i think you know it's also true for people that they were they were confused and they asked themselves a lot of questions um Mm -hmm. you know for a long time yeah yeah like you know it's i i just remember the story i attended um at there's so I won't, I mean, I attended a thing called, like, a moth, like, live story readings. So, oh, yeah. like, people, yeah, like, people should go up and, like, share, like, quickly share, like, a five-minute uh, monologue about themselves or whatever, or, like, depending on whatever the topic was. Um, and it was just some of them just being like, yeah, like, I'm not, you know, for a long time I didn't realize I was gay. Like, you know, I, like, I gave blowjobs to other people, like, other dudes in the bathroom, but, like, that wasn't gay. Like, it was just, like, you know, two two bros being, like, you know, have given, like, a bro job to each other. And I was just, like, holy shit. I mean, and I think it's it's kind of funny because it's, like, it is funny. Um, 
but I think on another level, it's also just sort of like, and this is just like we we we've wandered well off the yeah. path of Galv House. We are now trekking intrepidly through the wilderness in search for El Dorado. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I just I just feel like it's just so funny that um, for the queer community, there is like there is such a strong element, I guess, of self-deception that, I mean, like, obviously not not for everyone. There are definitely people who, like, figure it out and, like, more power to you. Um, but, like, there's a lot of people who, like, this process of coming out, like you said, like, first involved coming out to yourself and just being like, shoot. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, no, I think that, yeah. Um, and I guess to to bring it back around to to Gal Thank House, you, thank you. Um, I think another element that is important um, in in those representations is that I agree with people that it is really important to show female relationships that are very close. Um, you know that are are real that that are honest about the relationships that women have because I feel like we do not see that very often. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes, you know, and sometimes the relationships are romantic. Um, And, you know, I don't want to be like, let's pull out the Bechdel test. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I do think like women have relationships with each other that are not about men. And sometimes they're not about men because they are not romantically interested in men. They are romantically interested in each other. (laughs) (laughs) that's just true um and uh and you know women's have all women have all kinds of relationships with each other and i think uh a a wealth of those are are important um but i think there's just sort of been uh a real sort of like deluge of these like um really close intense um female friendships that are like novels about them um that sort of thing that mm-hmm. are that that are sort of never willing to to sort of go that extra step um it's sort of the female equivalent of you know every book that donna tart has ever written where all of her male characters you know are you, you, donna you tart, she wrote the secret history oh i see i see okay okay thank um, you yeah, so she wrote the secret history in the Goldfinch, for, and for, it's always like her main male character always has a very intense friendship with another male character. They they sort of sexually experiment with each other, but you know he always ends up with married the, the girl that you know, or he always sort of obsesses over the girl, like the perfect mm-hmm. girl. Um, right. And yeah, so you kind of get the <laughs> the the reverse, um, and you know, and just like a ton of these books have come out. Um, I'm trying to think like uh my brilliant friend was maybe like the thing that kicked it off but there's um there's a book by Claire Massoud that just came out called The Burning Girl which I haven't read but which seems to also be about intense female friendship. I think there's a Megan Abbott book that's like about super intense female friendship um or frenemyship. <laughs> uh-huh. Um and yeah, I just I think people are really interested in this, and there's sort of also a, a long history of looking at classic literature um, through this lens. Well, I'm saying classic literature. I mean, like I'm talking about 20th century literature. I'm talking about like looking at 
uh, Passing by Nella Larson, which sort of features two female characters who are um, bound together, but in an adversarial relationship where um, there's sort of a man between them. Like they're, Mm -hmm. um, and like a lot of people read that as sort of sublimated um, desire for each other. Um, similar, similarly, uh, Sula by Toni Morrison. It's actually very similar. Um, <laughs> and I think we, we perform these readings and we sort of see this pattern and I think it's absolutely there, but I think, um, I am waiting for the things that will, um, allow it to take those extra steps. Right. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's, let's dig into some stuff, but I wanted to talk about, um, I mean, you mentioned, uh, my brilliant friend and I guess, I guess I haven't read all of them. I read, I think the first book and the second book I got to like the, the horrifying depiction of what marriage is and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that's much of I, that book. <laughs> but I think, um, I mean, I thought, I mean, I guess it's funny just because like, I feel like I just felt like the first book, like it's so clear the narrator has like these hugely repressed um like physical and romantic attractions towards was it lila or yeah lila lila maybe pronounced lila i'm not sure lila yeah yeah but um i mean i guess there are like three other books in the quadrilogies i I agree with you and like i think that the the again like it's one of those things that's in the text and i feel like it's fairly explicitly in the text um i mean the fact that she the, the narrator sort of, like, goes out and tries to, like, have sex at the same time that Lila would be having sex for the first time. And she, yeah. like, has this, like, it's very, uh, she also, like, bathes her before her wedding. Right, um, yeah, she's just, there, like. Like, there's yeah. these very erotically charged moments. Um, and I think, you know, I think there may even be a, a moment where she sort of, like, you know, says, like, yeah, I, I, I was attracted to Lila. Or, like, I, you know, I loved her. Right. More than, but, you know, more than a friend. Um, I, I always thought it was interesting, like, the the way she's like, I'm attracted to Lila, but, like, the way, like, she attracts everyone. Or, like, you know, that she was, like, this magnet, or, like, magnetic personality. Um, I don't know. Anyways, I, I feel like self-denial is an interesting facet of the first book. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that stops. I think there's a lot of self-denial through oh, all of those books. Um, and a lot of bad marriage. Uh, I believe great. it. Great oh, god. oh my god. Um, the bad marriage, just like the the stomping of uh, you know, the fragile bloom of brilliant feminine brilliance into trodden through the muck of, you know, patriarchy. Yeah. Those books are real. They're they're real. They're bummers. <laughs> uh, and they're amazing. Yeah, um, oh they highly are so recommended. Good. They are very good. Um, so, sorry. This won't, will not cheer you up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay. But... Yeah. I just, I just wanted to ask, um, uh, because I sort of consider you the, the expert. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. It's there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I think we should talk about at some, some length is the movie when Marnie was there. Right. Yes. So when Marnie describe, was there. Describe <sighs> what when Marnie was there is. So this is this is spoilers for the movie. Um, so you have been warned. Uh, we feel quite. So basically, this young girl. It's an animated film. Animated film by I think either Ghibli or one of Ghibli's like, like closely affiliated with Ghibli, like whatever. Yeah. 
Um, so basically, a young girl is sent to the countryside because she has anxiety. Um, and there, she meets like this mysterious, like blonde hair, like girl who may be a ghost living in this like supposedly abandoned mansion um, that she sees. Mm-hmm. And basically, they spend all their time together, and it's and it's, they just like it's like very it becomes very romantic like um they there's eat a lunch lot of together sort of like, they like row together they dance with each other like they call each uh, other beautiful um they you know they blush they they i think you know at one point you like kiss each other or kiss each other's cheeks at least um mm-hmm. and like it's very uh <laughs> it is very romantic um like it really Mm -hmm. feels like you're watching these two girls fall in love um you know these two probably early teens girls um one of whom is definitely a ghost right yeah (laughs) and then you're you're just sort of like maybe a ghost upgrades to like definitely a ghost like halfway in Um, um and you sort of start to realize that okay like part of what's happening here is the mystery of of who who is marnie so marnie is the the blonde girl um mm -hmm. And we sort of get flashes from Marnie's life where she was, um, you know, there was like a young male suitor or whatever in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in these weird flashes, our protagonist, this other uh, other girl, like takes his place and is sort of like in his place, mm-hmm. um, which is, there's so much to say about that. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, like, okay, she's going to, like, it's going to end sadly because she's a ghost. Like, we know. Right. You, know, um, you don't get a happy ending when some when one person is a ghost. It just right. does not. You just know. Right. So, um, so you, you're like, okay, okay, we're going to find out. And then, like, basically in the last 15 minutes, 20 minutes, um, mm-hmm. you very quickly learn who Marnie is. Um, because... <laughs> uh so the the main character she was um orphaned at a young age and um raised a little bit by her grandmother and then her grandmother died and she went to go live with a foster family um and and it turns out that marnie is her grandmother as a young girl yes it's uh, I think we started screaming like at the screen when we saw it. Right. Because, because I think, I think like actually both of us kind of like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was this incredible, like there, there's like kind of, uh, there's like kind of like no homoing like relationships. And this one was just like a, a straight, like roundhouse martial arts flip kick to the face um, because it's it's not only bad enough that Marnie, her like girl crush, was her grandmother, but it was like her grandmother who had raised her from the tender ages of like zero to three or whatever. Right, and, and like, like I think they sort of try to be like, oh, so, and all those feelings of love and like all all of that attraction was like it was familial love. It was like being attracted to to someone who cares about you, not like sexual attraction but like right right and I, I think that's also one thing that's kind of i think like so overstated is this concept that like you know that there's a lot of people who are like oh you know uh why are you uh saying that these children have to be like sexually attracted to each other and it's like you know when a 10 year old boy goes on a play date with a 10 year old girl we're not like 
they're having sex with each other, obviously. Like, it's... Right. We're talking about romantic inclinations that are, like, maybe... They're, that are distinct from uh, friend... Like, you know, just, like, friendship stuff. Right. I mean, like... Mm-hmm. I just wanted to, like, get that in there. Like, um, most people had crushes when they were, you know, 10, pre- 12, pre- pre- 13 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not unusual. Um, the idea that that is somehow, like eroticizing children is wild <laughs> yeah yeah and I, the, and I just want to bring it up because I see yeah. people I yeah I mean it's it's a common complaint it's like why are you sexualizing this children's movie and in this case it's like it's not like it's not sexual it's just like they're just like uh very close to each other and of course naturally they're like calling to each other across the bonds of time and spirit you know when her grandmother as a child is um, being pulled irresistibly back to the spirit world or whatever. And it, there's a lot of crashing waves, a lot of tearful proclamations, uh, yeah. a lot of reaching for each other. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I... Screaming that they love each other, like... Right, screaming that they love each other through tears while, like, the these this, these tides pull them apart. Um, and I'm just like, man, I feel like if you wanted to commit the perfect murder, just like just, like... Like, tie me, restrain me in a chair so I can't, like, move my body and say, like, when Marnie was there was good, right behind me. So, like, I would snap my own neck as I rotate 180 <laughs> degrees to, like, start compl- yelling at you. Like, this would be the perfect murder. The the detectives would just be like, so it looks like she just, like, kind of was able through her own fury snap <laughs> her own neck by turning it around really quickly. Like, the exorcist... Except instead of being possessed, she just flat out fucking died. <laughs> uh, so anyways, so when Marnie was there, I think it's, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a weird, I think, I think it's, it comes to the forefront for us just because of, um, how strongly the movie kind of sells this, uh, romantic attachment. And like, and as Molly said earlier, it's like, uh, what we find out is that, you know, at one point Marnie calls the main character by the name of. Uh, her male suitor, and it's like this very confusing moment for Mar- for sorry, I forget her name. Yeah, um, I forgot her name as well. Okay, so I'm going to look it up because it's going to get very complicated. Um, but okay. I mean, I think so. We we find out that yeah, like the the main Carol uh, Anna. Okay, yeah. So we find out that Anna um, has been kind of. Sorry, that Anna has been taking the place of the male suitor in many of these scenes that she's kind of, like, been playing out with Marnie. And it's not necessarily clear, like, whether all of these scenes or, in my interpretations, like, there's a few of these scenes where um, she has been, like, subbed into the place of the male suitor. So, like, I think even from that angle, it's like, you can't say it's familial love when you have, like, uh, Anna playing the role of, like, the male suitor who eventually marries her uh, at, like, a family function or, like, at, you know, at, at a picnic or whatever. Right. Um, it's just this crazy kind of, like, you, you, like, you, you can't have it both ways. Um, and, I mean, I think that is what's so frustrating is that it is, like, it really is a deeply romantic movie. Um, like, it's a really, it feels like such a beautiful love story with all these like um you know beautiful sort of subtle moments um 
of just these two, you know, these two girls sort of coming to understand each other. And, you know, they, they're very, they're both very isolated and just sort of coming to trust each other. And mm-hmm. God, when they dance together, it's like, ugh, it makes my heart uh-huh. hurt. Like, it's just, it's just right. a beautiful when they dance moment. Or like when they're, when they're like row, like when uh, Marnie's teaching Anna how to row, like there's just like so many amazing moments. Um, of, and then, um, yeah. yeah. And then it's not just like the movie doesn't just go like, okay, well, we're not going to confirm anything. Like, they're just friends. No, mm-hmm. it goes, like, all the way back around and it's like, ha-ha, you thought that? You're an idiot. It's a grandmother's right. love. It, it feels, right. It's like, oh, you thought it was, uh, it was clearly a grandmother's pure love for the child she had raised. And it's, and, like, I'm like, you know, oh, you know, they foreshadow this because Marnie, sorry, Anna is like, oh, why is that song familiar? Because it was a song that Marnie sang to her when she was a child. And I'm like, fuck you. Fuck your, uh-huh. you know, fuck that foreshadowing. Yeah. I and hate I guess, you. like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, you know, like, to be fair, eh, it's based on a book. So I guess we can, like, ultimately blame the book. But they're right. the ones who chose to adapt the book in that way. And right. I would not be as mad if they had not presented so much of it so romantically. Um, it's not just right. about the that ending. It's about that ending mm-hmm. with everything that came before it, and they did not I, have to do that. I mean, I I mean, I like the movie a lot, and I hate the movie a lot. It's one yeah. of those movies I definitely like when I when I know someone, like, and I'm like, you know what, we should we should watch this movie <laughs> so we can you can experience the the depths of my betrayal at um at this at this unveiling. It's like when you. Uh, it's like when you have a bunch of like cups and stuff on a table and you like pull the tablecloth away only instead like when you pull the tablecloth away like all the cups and stuff just like fly off and explode yeah I mean or something I get I'm (laughs) my metaphors are getting more complicated (laughs) no I just I just feel like so much about how they chose to make that movie like it felt like it was selling you on one thing and then at the end it was like surprise idiot here's what you get and that's <laughs> feeling. That's how I felt uh-huh. during Rachel's season of The Bachelorette. Oh, like, yeah. Here, so- we're going to sell you on this romance. Ha ha, surprise, idiot. That's not what you're getting. Surprise. Which is fine if it had been edited that way. That's mm-hmm. also how I feel about Game of Thrones right now, but we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to go. We'll, we'll see if we can go one episode without Game of Thrones. I mean, we have things we could talk about in Game of Thrones. What I'm realizing from my end is that Game of Thrones is some things to everyone, but it is all things to Molly. So, <laughs> at so. the moment, anyway. <laughs> at the moment. Um, um, well, but... I guess, like... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, go on. Uh, I mean, I, I was going to move on to the next one in my list, but you can also uh, move well, on to... I was just going to say, sort of, like, in the vein of thinking of, um, like, these these books and stuff. Like, I guess one other valence that we haven't necessarily said is, like, some things are written at times when it's harder, it was harder to sort of explicitly, um, you know, state something. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm thinking of Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, where one of the characters is strongly implied, but never outright stated that she is a lesbian. Um, another character is, again, it's very strongly implied to the point that it is kind of undeniable that um, she is in love with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely, 
it's you know you'll get people who'll fight you on it um and even <laughs> charlie jackson herself like was like my characters aren't gay i don't i don't know why people think that and i was like Aww. girl because you're writing gay characters that's why oh come on shirley jackson don't do us dirty like this um yeah so it's like you know and i think in in some of these cases although of course there were people who were writing you know actual lesbian novels at the time but for for a lot of things um subtext had had to kind of carry the day but it's frustrating mm -hmm. to see that um happening you know in 1951 and seeing it happening still in 2018 <laughs> yeah yeah for sure like some of the i mean i'm i'm interested i mean there's uh there's a couple examples i mean i was interested i have thelma and louise here um as an example i mean early i mean which is not the greatest example because this was a fairly old movie. It's from um, the early '90s, I believe. Yeah, early '90s before I, I guess the acceptance was. I, I mean, and it has been a long time since I've read it, but I mean, I feel like you know they say seen it. My bad. Um, you know, uh, and maybe maybe you know just regular gals and their pals take off on an international, uh, you know, fleeing murder. Definitely not international, but keep going. Not, not interstation. Inter oh, damn it. State, na damn it. National uh, car getaway after accidentally killing an abusive boyfriend, I want to say, or... I don't quite remember what sets them off on there. It, it was an abusive blank, I believe. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, you know, we have this, like, the ultimate iconic ending is, like, they say, I love you to each other. I forget who. It's, it's like, the, I love you. I know. Maybe. And then they, like, gun the car off a cliff, and that's just, like, how it ends. They kiss, too. Oh, do, oh yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. They do kiss, um, which I feel is sort of, like, again, maybe, like, as far as they could. Yeah, they yeah. They were willing I, to go with it at that moment, um, you right. know, where it's still this ambiguous, like, oh, you know, they're like sisters. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, but maybe there's another way to read this. Right. Like, maybe there's another read way to read like this instead of like crime sisters mm -hmm. um who who are who will die in children's arms you know <laughs> personally i think um i kill giants was one of this like before we had a word for this example of this uh so this is for the graphic novel i suppose i know that there's a movie out on amazon prime i haven't seen it um i'm kind of i'm pretty interested in it because i'm interested in kind of how it carries over but there's this um I mean, basically, it, it's a book about mental illness, about this uh, young girl who's, like, um, struggling with uh, kind of, like, being kind of, like, disruptive in class and, like, dealing with a lot of, like, scary stuff at home and, like, having these visions and, like, this other girl who's, like, trying to rescue, like, kind of, like, rescue is not a great word. Um, I think it's been maybe, uh, but, like, just trying to befriend her and trying to like understand what she's going through and like we get like you know and and i think the ocean which is canonically gay does does uh show up a lot um no the not in not in the not in the story i'm just saying in general the ocean is gay um okay yes uh i'll take your word for it the ocean is gay for the moon is is a classic the classical interpretation uh. though there are there are, there are obviously always other um, other other theories, but anyway, so like you know, there there is like this life threatening moment. There is like a moment of like reaching. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just felt like it was an example of like 
people risking a lot, like two people risking a lot for each other and risking a lot, like despite um, maybe one of them trying to push the other away, uh, that was kind of disappointing to just sort of be like, yeah, like they're really, like they're just good friends and they're like straight. And I think that's not bad that that's the case. Um, but it's like, it feels like it's something that could have been explored. And I think this is kind of going to be something that comes up over and over again or has come up is that one of us says it could have been explored more. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's not bad that that's the case, but it's bad that it's always the case. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great way to put it. Um, and you know, and it's, it's sort of that classic, completely simplistic thought experiment of if this were a male character and a female character, what would our expectations be? Um, you know, if it was, everything was exactly the same, but it was a male character and a female character, like, you know, I think our expectations would change. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, that's significant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's on, what's on your, what's on your docket, Molly? What's on the shit list? I mean, I had, I had a few other things that are sort of um, well known. So there's a, there's a crime solving show called uh, Rizzoli and Isles, which I think would actually kind of be more along the lines of what we talked about with queer baiting. Mm-hmm. Um in that there's sort of an ongoing awareness and joke of the idea of them as a couple, these two women. Um, but it, you know, never happens. Um, but there's not really that much to say about that. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. wait, no, I have one that I want to go off about. Okay. So I watched the first two to three seasons of Once Upon a Time. Oh, yes. And the most invested I was ever in, like, in that show is when Aurora and Mulan were hanging out. <laughs> and there's this, like, beautifully... Okay, like, you know, they, they try to save Prince Philip, but he dies. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're traveling together. And at one point, Aurora's heart gets stolen. Like, her literal heart gets stolen out mm. of her body. And Mulan goes to retrieve it and then, like, helps her put... Like, she gives her her heart back. Like, she holds her heart and puts it back into her body. It's like the uh-huh. most romantic, like Explicitly obvious romantic symbolism yeah. you could have. Um, and then uh, later in the show, so they, they sort of, um, but again, they nobody ever says anything. But then later in the show, they have a scene that's so ambiguous, but Mulan shows up. Oh, guess what? Prince Philip is still alive. I don't know. But uh-huh. Mulan shows up. And sort of having said that she needs to, like, tell the person she loves that she loves them. And she she goes and she sees Aurora and she's like, I have to tell you something. Um, mm-hmm. This and is Aurora's not sounding like, that ambiguous to me. Well, and then the Aurora's like, I'm pregnant. And Mulan's like, oh, never mind. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, it seems pretty clear. But, you know, there there are people who still interpret, like, oh, she was going to be like, hey, I have to tell you. I'm in love with your husband um, mm. because that was sort of the, the I've imprinted on your child assumption at the beginning was that Mulan was in love with Philip as well. Um, so, okay. I don't know why this like gets my goat so bad, but <laughs> I just like really liked them together. I thought that they were a really cute couple and they just had that like beautiful romantic moment. And then the show just kind of like gave us these scraps 
of, you know, if they'd done nothing, that would have been one thing. But they just give us the scraps of, uh-huh. like, look, Mulan maybe kind of sort of feels romantic about the situation. But guess what? You'll never hear from any of these characters again. Um, and, right, you know, they because... eventually introduced a uh, a gay character, but I don't I don't remember who it is. It wasn't Mulan. Was, uh, it was... Did Mulan die? I don't know. I just, I feel like I, maybe I just stopped watching because um, okay. I feel like she just kind of stopped showing up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and whatever. It's it still hurts my heart a little just because I thought uh-huh. it was very cute and had a lot of potential. Yeah, that's that's always that's always the worst. But I think I think what's interesting here is um, I mean we could talk about like the the classic reverse the you know Legend of Korra where right where every you know your your dreams came true even though they couldn't you know even though Nickelodeon wouldn't let them more. Right, exactly. showing the show, right? So famously in The Legend of Korra, in the final episode, the two main female characters who at one point were fighting over a guy several seasons earlier, um, but who have now become very good friends, um, walk off hand in hand into the spirit world, which is like, not like death. It's just like they're going on a vacation to the spirit world. Um, And they go off hand in hand um, and sort of like look at each other. And it, it it felt very deliberately romantic um but no one was sure until right. mm-hmm. you know word of god the creators came out and said like yes we intended this they are girlfriends <laughs> like they are together and we couldn't put it in the show but we tried to put as much as we could mm-hmm. and it will be explicit in the comic series that is following the show and it has been explicit in, i mean like they have kissed, they are dating, they have, like, uh, Cora came out to her parents. Um, oh, cool. Like, it's... I it's, haven't followed any of the the, the follow-up comics. I've only just seen, like, images, because every now and then people post images and are just like, this is real. This isn't fan art. This is real. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's like kind of a, a thing you have to, like, um, remind yourself of, because it just feels... Uh, unreal that like a Nickelodeon show, um, you know, popular adventure based on like a really popular franchise, which was uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, that like would have this, um, you know, two women of color in a romantic relationship that just like is and is really cute and like mm-hmm. um is openly like a romantic relationship. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's funny just that it seems more significant, um, at least to me, than like maybe DC Marvel stuff, just because DC Marvel stuff is fake and doesn't exist. Uh. (laughs) I mean, I think like, I mean, I think having stuff for younger audiences is significant. Like, I think the fact Mm -hmm. that uh, this show, which was for, you know, probably like tweens and teens, though lots of older people watched it too, um, um, I think that the fact that they pushed for that, um, that they mm-hmm. pushed for a lesbian relationship, um, rather than going the easy route and just being like, well, we had these two characters flirt in the first season, so let's just get them back together at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that really matters in the same way that I think, like, Steven Universe, which is a whole different <laughs> sort of thing, but I think the fact that in Steven Universe, the absolute transparent 
right, willingness to just be as gay as possible <laughs> right. like in a children's show is is really important um, in a way that I think a lot of the things like uh, Marvel and DC, like it can feel like it's more for shock value or sales mm-hmm. value or whatever. Right, yeah. In a kid's show, it doesn't feel that way because um, I think there's still a lot of – it still feels very taboo um, mm-hmm. to – have gay characters in a children's show let alone like the main characters um Mm. or or lgbt i should say um yeah uh, no i agree yeah i mean i think about the fact that in high school musical the character of ryan was not allowed to be like explicitly gay um despite the fact that everything about how he was played and like so many things about what they um chose to do with his character was like hinting that he was gay but like disney was like no you can't do it um and i don't know maybe disney would still say that but i guess nickelodeon cartoon network are getting on on board well either either that or yeah yeah i was saying either that or like cartoon network like really really you know rebecca sugar really managed to slip a big one by them with steven universe it's true it does it sort of like ramps up you're like hmm this is a little bit okay well that's a Okay, and then you get, you know, eventually you have, like, Pearl in a tuxedo singing about her deep, deep love for Rose. and Right, and, like, yeah, yeah, and, like, and like even before that you have, like, Garnet and... Yeah. Right, like, yeah, right, you're right, though. Like, it just, like, it just, it just sort of ramps, ramps it, guns it, ramps, ramps the, like, ramps across, like, eight cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's a great example of one that you know, felt like it could have been that gal pal situation and it wasn't. Um, yeah. I also, I think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, you should finish your thought. Oh, I, was, I mean, are you still talking about legend of Korra though? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I was just going to say, I also thought that the, the adventure zone did a good job of this, um, in sort of they, two of their characters home, Sloan and Hurley. I about said Hone and, and Slurley. Hone <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Slurley. My favorite, you know, auto tune-up shop. Um, Sloan and Hurley have a very um, intense relationship um, in one of the arcs. And it's implied but never explicitly stated that they were dating or in love or something. And they have a very sort of like, I guess, spoiler alert, they have sort of this like tragic romantic ending but again nothing explicit and then um you know the the McElroy's Griffin McElroy in particular um you know responded to criticism about that I think he he sort of verbally said like yeah they were meant to be gay but like I didn't realize I was like participating in a barrier gaze trope um and so he not only like found a way to bring them back to life but also to be like and they're girlfriends and they're definitely together and also, mm-hmm. the last episode had a lesbian wedding, not between them, but still, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like Sloane and Hurley, like they're they're definitely super. God, let's not. No, if you invoke that, like the the clouds will part and you'll be struck down for your hubris. So, um, <laughs> let's knock on wood here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely thought Sloane and Hurley definitely read very gay to me but i i do think like having that explicitly like yeah. i think th- there's a lot of um there's a lot of ways to sort of say like okay but like you're just reading too much into it because you're invested or whatever mm-hmm. like having it be explicitly stated is hell is is helpful um, yeah i mean i just i do think that's true i think like you 
if there's not a kiss, if there's not uh Even if um, there is a kiss. Yeah, that's you know. true. If there's not, you know, saying like I am in love with this person or, you know, we are in a relationship or right. whatever. Right, they like both turn to the camera and it's like, we love each other. Right. Um, then you're going to get, you know, those historians being like, well, you know, uh, in the alien world <laughs> of the gems, we don't necessarily know if uh, saying that they love each other and wanting to be together forever is like a romantic thing. Maybe they're like sisters. Right, it's like, you know, considering gems are immortal, effectively, you know, who's to say? Who's to say? Really, uh, truly, we can't, we just can't make a statement. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. I don't know if I have any more thoughts on gal pals. I think I'm, uh, I think I'm pretty tapped out. Um, I guess uh, a good book that we read on this topic that's not about gal pals, uh, I mean, uh, The Mis- Miseducation of Cameron Post was a pretty good book about um a young girl well i mean it's also kind of depressing but it's it's a good book about a young girl like finding out that she's uh she's gay and then getting sent to a conversion camp yes Um, it's it's an ultimately hopeful but definitely pretty depressing book um but the the sort of first half of it sort of deals with her ending up in sort of one of these romantic friendships and not really knowing how to deal with it or you know mm-hmm. wanting to deal with what it means and the other girl definitely not wanting to deal with what it means right hence the second half of the book where yeah. she is shipped off to a gay conversion camp um, um but not yeah. the one with electroshock therapy no. thank you thank goodness uh, pence hadn't been invented yet he he, he has <laughs> um okay yeah so i mean we can talk about <laughs> We can talk about what we've been um, engaged in if uh, if you want, if you uh, unless you yeah. have any closing thoughts. No, I have no closing thoughts. Um, I probably should, but I don't. It's, okay. again, still final season for me. I'm still dying. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think I've been engaged with any new media since I last, oh, uh, since we last recorded. It's It's all... Just lots of books of criticism and theory, and then um, trying Not even to one movie. Write one movie. Yeah, I don't think I saw one movie. Oh man! All right. I didn't know if you were like hinting. Like, did I tell you I saw a movie? No, 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 you didn't. I was like, I was like, did you? Did you like? You just, I, I just, I just want you to to be able to relax. I did finish. Um, I did finish reading Who Fears Death. Um. Oh. Which was it was it was good. It was it was very different than what I expected. Um, I'm writing a final paper about it, and um, it gave me a lot to think about. And mm-hmm. then I'm listening to the audiobook of The Power and enjoying that quite a bit as well. Cool. So yeah, I might have I w- said that last time. I don't know. Actually, it's it's I I actually think you you mentioned both the last time, but nothing I mean- changes. I mean, as considering that, so we are actually trying to get ahead of the recording schedule. We're recording this um, a little early. Uh, so, you know, if something, hor- some horrible allegations come out against Griffin McElroy in the next week or so, um, we, this was recorded before then. Yes. <laughs> but uh, fingers crossed, you know. Uh, so I recently, um, I just finished a book called uh, Nomon by Nick Harkaway. The title is spelled G-N-O-M-O-N. Um, and I thought it was really good and just like I I was kind of really surprised that Nick Harkaway kind of 
was had this novel in him like that sounds kind of mean but like um so like the kind of kind of the elevator pitch is we have this like near future dystopic surveillance society where a inspector is trying to figure out why a suspect died during questioning um and this questioning is like this highly invasive like mind scan so they like literally read your mind so uh, the inspectors, you know, goes to review like the mind scan and finds herself in a falsified narrative constructed by the uh, interrogee, right? Um, so like, so it's or like, yeah, the person being interrogated has constructed this like elaborate false matter false narrative to kind of like make the mind scan take longer, di- divert people down the wrong paths and stuff. Um, and it just like really i don't want to give any spoilers um but it really just builds from that it becomes a book about uh about myths about narratives about storytelling while also being about like dystopias um about sur- like also about like dystopia surveillance and like uh the slippery sl- most foul yeah. <laughs> right yes and like the slippery slope of technology i mean i think i think it's a really stunning book like it's i think it could have been Maybe I guess some I saw someone say that could have been tighter, which I think I probably agree with. But it's such a cool concept, like it's like you know Cloud Atlas, but actually good, um, and not just like, <laughs> hey, look at me, I'm Dave Mitchell, I can write in five styles. It's like cool, you can write in five styles. It's like who gives a shit? Like, sorry, I didn't like Cloud Atlas that much. I couldn't tell. <laughs> uh i mean yeah i mean if someone if someone confronts me about it i'll i mean i have in the past and i i will say like i don't hate it i just feel like the whatever whatever <laughs> anyways i feel like Noman does a really good job of like having kind of these different stories like all woven into each other and like thematically buttress each other um in a way that's like really fascinating to me and then next, um, I mean, Catherine Valenti's Space Opera just came out. Um, oh, I so know. I might try to read that. Um, the cover is amazing. Book. If you haven't looked at the cover. I love the cover. It's so good. Please look at the cover. It's so good. Um, and yeah, and then like uh, like my cheesy Daniel Faust novel series apparently just released. So I might read that too. But nice. I'm busy. I built and took apart an Ikea bed frame yesterday because... Uh, I got the wrong size, so that's my badge of shame. <laughs> it's been a hard, a hard week for all of us here at uh, Story Guts HQ. Yeah, it really has. Um, um, so hopefully, the next but, time we talk to you, we'll both be a little more uh, well rested and of you know sound mind. Right. Yeah, which you know might actually result in a in a lower quality recording because we don't have that. We don't have that raw edge of exhaustion to really, to really kick up the sparks, as they say. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what it does. Right, that's what people say. Exhaustion sharpens the mind. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's the that's, that's the phrase. Colloquial knowledge. All right, let's wrap up. I gotta okay. go finish a psych episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as always, yeah. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for listening. Um, you can always email suggestions, comments, whatever to uh, storygutscast at gmail.com. Um, 
if you want an immediate response, I think you can find us at our respective Twitters. Um, I just like at me at uh, Alonculus, which is A L O N K U L O U S. Uh, Molly? And I'm at, uh, at the Molly Jean. That's the M O L L Y J E A N N E. Um, and then our, our official Twitter is um, at Story Guts Cast. I update it like when we have a new episode and not really otherwise but definitely feel free to follow it maybe i will use it more i finally yeah. put it on my phone so i might actually use it more now oh nice perfect uh so you can you can tweet the the images of like that very long ice cream line was it free ice cream day or something what was yeah, going it was free on ice there? cream day um Ugh. okay sorry <laughs> this, this that's makes definitely no not sense. related please cut that out <laughs> um, okay um all right well i'm molly curran and I'm Alice Sly, and stay hungry. Wow.